The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader for ba- on Barron's Live. I'm Eric Savitson, the Associate Editor for Technology at Barron's. And I am happy to welcome with uh, today my old friend Paul Meeks, who has been a money manager on the street for many years, also as a professor at the Citadel um, in South Carolina, um, and has uh, a long record of uh, surviving uh, difficult markets for technology stocks, and we are certainly in one today. Paul, uh, thanks for being with me. This is a particularly timely chat. It sure is. Uh, So as we sit here and chat at this very moment in time, uh, as I'm looking up, uh, NASDAQ is down 3% for the day. I think we're down maybe, what, 15% on the NASDAQ year to date? Yeah, Uh, it might be even uh, worse if we go back to Thanksgiving when the crumbling started. Right. So we're so that would imply not cr- almost bear market uh, territory, and certainly for many individual stocks, uh, we are deep into bear market territory. Uh, we've seen that with uh, sometimes news uh, prompted. Uh, we've seen this with uh, Peloton and with Netflix and a few others, um, and in some cases, it's really just uh, the erosion of valuation. Uh, we've seen this. Uh, with stocks like Shopify, which I think is down maybe 40% from its peak, or more Zoom, which is down maybe 60%, 70% from its peak. We've had a complete reset um, of valuations here. Let's talk first a little bit about what the underlying causes of this are. Is this just about interest rates? What What's happening here, Paul? You know, I think the chief factor is interest rates, right? Even though interest rates are historically absolutely low, because remember, in the Jimmy Carter era, you know, interest rates got into the 15 to 20 percent handle. Right. You know, we're complaining about a 1.75 percent yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury. However, in the last couple of months, we've gone from 1.3 to 1.75. And so, yeah, uh, off the bottom, a very steep, very quick move. And so we are compressing the valuation multiples based on a discounted cash flow calculation. Uh, right. So, so just to just to sort of explain that a little for people, yeah. uh, just to, to you know, I think we you know this is something that gets talked about a lot. But the general idea is that growth is valued. Uh, if you if you think about the growth of businesses over time, uh, you discount them back by some right. interest rate, and the higher the rate, uh, the more you uh, the, or the less maybe you value that future stream of of earnings and. Right. And so the implication is for super high growers and for very high multiple stocks, they are the most vulnerable. Would that be That's right. Yeah, you take a look at uh, any asset, whether it be a stock, a bond, a barrel of oil, uh, the value of your home. You know, if as an investor, you forecast cash flows and then you discount them back to the present. Now, with these tech and aggressive growth stocks, to get those cash flows, to get the meat on the bone, sometimes you have to go way far out. And the further you go out, you have to discount them back, the uh, lesser the value. And so when you tweak that denominator, which is essentially the current level of interest rates, even slightly, 
uh, that has a really big, really bad impact for these tech and aggressive growth names, particularly the ones that have those cash flows and the goodies way, way out in the future. Does this uh, does this feel like any other previous down downturns that you've seen in the past? Does this, re, you know, people always want to point to uh, the bubble years of 20 yeah. years ago or 2008, or I'm old enough to remember, you know, 87. Um, so like the, the, there've been other periods when we've had sharp downturns. Now, historically, they've turned out to be uh, reasonably good buying opportunities often, although in some cases it takes some time for those to develop. Do you see an analogy at all with any of the yeah. previous downturns we've experienced? You know, I actually think you don't have to go back so far. And uh, this is going to tell you that I actually think we are going to have a, uh, a much quicker snapback than those other catastrophes. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jay Powell, you know, the current uh, chair of the Fed, in uh, the first week of October of 18, he gave a speech where unbeknownst to him, I don't think he thought it was going to be such a big shocker, but it was, he talked about raising rates. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, the NASDAQ dropped 20% uh, through Christmas, right? Just in that uh, Q4 of 18. Right. And so I think this one is most similar to that. I don't think it's um, a financial crisis 0708 because that was you know driven by uh, real estate speculation. Right. And I don't even think it is uh, akin to the internet bubble because when the internet bubble popped, there were a lot of really crappy companies that went down in uh, this particular uh, move. And that's why I think it's predominantly due to rates. Uh, we actually have some good companies with solid prospects right. that are going down hard. Right. Well, and I do think one thing that's different than that time period, too, although, well, one thing that's different in that time period is if, if you think about the IPO environment 20 years ago, uh, we were taking companies public. Uh, that had uh, pre pre revenue. Basically, they they were ideas more than they were uh, ongoing businesses, and uh, in effect, the market was acting as a sort of Series A uh, venture investor. And um, you know, and the, to be fair, you know, the success rate of Series A venture investing is um, isn't super high because you're based. You know, you as if you're a venture investor, you have a broad portfolio, and you're counting on uh, big uh, big home runs to. To, uh, to, to bail you out of the ones that don't work. That doesn't work as well in the public markets. And I would say, though, one thing that did happen over the last year uh, that is there were other kinds of speculation, right? So we saw the SPAC market um, kind of exploded and lots of companies came public that way. We had a pretty robust IPO market too. And we mm-hmm. saw things like uh, explosion of interest in crypto and, uh, and then you had sort of the meme stock phenomenon. So there it all seems to me to add up to sort of a period of a little, you know, the markets were a little frothy, right. uh, a little speculative. Do, do you think and not uh, just frothy for a period of time. They've been frothy for many years. Right. And again, it's you know, propelled by ultra low rates because when the Fed uh, took the Fed funds rate to zero in the fall of 08, you know, they didn't raise them until 2015. And then they were starting to gradually tick up as things improved. And then we had the, uh, whammy in the uh, spring of 2020 with COVID. And here we are back again. So we've had a very long period, almost a generation with ultra low, not just low rates, ultra low rates, essentially zero. And we're unwinding that. And um, this is a natural progression of things. But you're absolutely right, Eric. There have been a number of um, sub bubbles 
under this uh, grouping. So when when you look at you know so the the it, in some ways the irony uh, here is that fundamentals uh, for many of the, the the key parts of the tech uh, food chain look pretty good, right? Um, we were we talked before the start of the call a little bit about. Uh, the environment, for example, on semiconductor demand, and if you think about enterprise IT spending, and you know, you think about uh, what we've seen in uh, areas like uh, PC demand and uh, 5G handsets and uh, video games, like there's lots of areas that where the fundamentals look pretty good, um, but that feels maybe still not enough to offset this interest rate issue. Well, I think once we see a stabilization now. I'm not saying stay away from the tech sector until the Fed does their thing, because the Fed might be doing their thing for years. I just need to see, like we saw uh, last spring, when we finally got a short-term top in rates, then uh, technology outperformance resumed. Right. And so I'm looking for that. But yeah, the fundamentals are uh, great. I think you can make a case, particularly for semiconductors. The industry used to grow its revenue globally per annum at about 4% per year. With or without COVID, we have new embedded drivers that probably double that rate. Mm -hmm. Then the companies that are the hot dots will do even better. And I thought today was particularly interesting. The Commerce Department um, issues a report in which they claim in America that the semiconductor industry has less than five days of inventory when they typically have a healthy 40. Mm. So inventory days down almost 90%. Simultaneous to uh, the demand for chips is 20% higher than even before the pandemic, going back to 19. And so that is a uh, setup and it might be alleviated a bit by the unclogging of the global supply chain. But that is a very nice multi-year setup for semiconductors and semiconductor capital equipment. So so are you ready to start buying any of them or are you more inclined to bide your time a little longer and let this correction period and, uh, you know, indication, and we're waiting for indications from the Fed on what the, on how this uh, rate increase uh, program is going to go. When would you jump in? Yeah, I would like to wait a little bit uh, longer because I'm sitting on the portfolios. I manage millions of dollars of cash, you know, targeted for tech investments. So here's what I uh, suggest. Uh, So first of all, we need some more feedback from the Fed. We'll get one uh, tomorrow at about two o'clock Eastern time when Jay Powell comes to the podium. Okay, and hopefully he gives us uh, some tidbits because the next time the Fed will meet won't be until the middle of March. And that's pretty far off. And then, Eric, the other thing I'd like to do is also get through the quarterly reporting season. Mm -hmm. And uh, I predict that most of my tech favorites will have reported their quarters by the second week of February. So I'm asking for two to three more weeks. Right. And we've got, um, we've had just a few. So we're right at the beginning of that season. So, uh, and of course, the one that everyone was uh, 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 disappointed in was the Netflix earnings report from late last week, uh, which uh, certainly showed um, slower user growth than people had anticipated. Um, but I would argue that it's difficult to extrapolate from Netflix to 
broader tech demand. It doesn't seem to say anything about enterprise spending or semiconductors or online advertising or any of the other big trends. Uh, yeah, it, it may bode ill for you know Viacom and Comcast and Disney Plus uh, because it's a more competitive environment. But you're absolutely right. right, Eric. Does it have anything to do with enterprise IT spending or hardware or software demand or semiconductors or semiconductor capital equipment. We know that stuff's booked up for years. Right. right. Yeah. Now, it'll be an right. important tell because, you know, we do have Microsoft and Texas right. Instruments tonight. Texas right. Instruments, you know, been around a long time. I wouldn't say it's a major company, but Microsoft will be a big one. Right. Well, and I think in Texas Instruments' case, uh, they do have some exposure to automotive right. uh, uh, components, uh, which is a sort of an area that people are paying a lot more attention to. Um, uh, it affects, it has implications on the supply chain side. It is interesting to me that, you know, IBM last night reported uh, their first quarter earnings. They were very good. Um, IBM has been in the middle of a turnaround. And uh, like, as I look at my screen, I think it's the only stock in green. So uh, it's, a, it's a little surprising to me that it didn't have any carryover. I think their IBM shares are up a maybe 3% today, which is pretty good on a day with the NASDAQ down 3%. Um, but it doesn't seem to have provided any carryover to the rest of the uh, the, the enterprise uh, technology names. And that's, and that's worrisome. And that's why you wait, I think, a little bit longer before to go buy with both hands a broader uh, set of tech names, right? They're just not getting any love. Uh, yeah. I've been uh, poo-pooing IBM for years and I have to give them some credit. You know, there's probably even after today's move, a still a 10, 20, 30% upside in the name. And, you know, this company pays a 5% dividend. Right. When the yield on the uh, 10 year is only 1.7. That's pretty good. Right. Yeah. I, I think, think it's the, probably uh, better position than Intel and Cisco, which are always the kind of old school tech companies that people uh, try to grab their dividend income from. Right. Yeah, and we'll we'll hear from Intel later this week too. It, it's uh, I think Intel's become a different story yeah. than it has been historically because uh, now it's about uh, they're changing their business model. It feels like it's a multi-year process to get to whatever new Intel. They, they've announced a lot of uh, you know sexy um, capacity ads like yes. the one in Columbus, Ohio. But if right. you read uh, the details. They won't have any production out of that fab until uh, pretty deep into 2025. And that's a long time away. So, you know, one of the things that uh, it seems to me is uh, if you think about, you know, what, uh, for example, the comments you made about the Commerce Department uh, report on uh, the, the thin supply of semiconductors, that would seem to argue for buying uh, foundries. And so, like, there's only a couple of those, right? So, right. Uh, so Taiwan Semiconductor is the most obvious one. Uh, there's a few others, Global Foundries, and a couple yeah. others, but uh, not too much. But then also the semiconductor equipment companies would would appear to be uh, appear to have significant demand in front of them yeah. as far as the eye can see. Yeah. I, I, would you? Are you I, I, I totally to agree. You know, you know, I want to get aggressive after I hit those uh, timing hurdles, and I think you can buy the who's who not just of uh, U.S., but uh, global, including ASM lithography, semiconductor capital equipment companies and do well. So ASML, KLA Tencor, Teradyne, LAM, Applied Materials, Kulik and Sofa, uh, Tokyo Electron. I think mm -hmm. they're all going to do well. I think some people that are bearish on them right now think, hey, Paul, it's great. 
but uh, we're buying peak earnings? I don't think so, because I see some drivers that are actually, as you said, as far as the eye can see, give you a pretty good outlook for those companies. Right. And then and then sort of, the, the, you know, sort of the, the next step away would be the, the semiconductor component companies uh, themselves. Eric, can you hear me? Well, it looks like um, Eric has frozen. Are you back? We're back. Okay. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, that was odd. Um, yeah, so you were talking about semiconductor capital. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, I, just uh, what I was saying is, like, it seems that the demand for uh, components is so is, it looks so strong, and from multiple sources, right? Historically, the chip industry has been high re reliant on PCs and servers, handsets, that sort. Of thing. Um, but now we've got all these new sources of demand, in, in particular, much more intense demand from the automotive sector, um, where EVs have high content, higher content than uh, historically, you know, traditional autos. And uh, uh, an autonomous vehicles are basically like, you know, kind of supercomputers on wheels, right? So yeah. um, would you would you be a widespread buyer of of chips as well as the yeah i absolutely would because you think about it you just nailed it uh, on the head you got autonomous driving uh they move to ev as we ramp up 5g wireless that enables internet of things and a lot of applications there along with artificial intelligence you know virtual reality and augmented reality wow i mean that's powerful sustained drivers and I think in the past, the semiconductor industry has grown its revenues about 4% per annum. Mm -hmm. Think about a normalized basis a little bit faster than GDP. Right. I think you can make the case now that uh, the industry is going to grow double that. Let's call it 8% per annum right. uh, with the higher content and um, you know greater uh, unit drivers. So, yeah, I'm very uh, bullish. And you know, I, I don't think you want to go with all of them. But my two favorites in uh, semiconductors among the vendors, and you and I um, contributed to an article about a year ago, was great because the stock was low. Now it's high. But I like Micron, MU, yep. you know, the dominant U.S. Uh, oligopolist uh, in uh, DRAM and NAND Flash. And I also like Qualcomm. Um, I would go ahead and buy Micron if you have a long-term perspective because they've already reported their earnings. Right. Yeah. So they're at a kind of off. That's right. Michael reporting uh, in August fiscal year. So we've already heard from them. So I feel it's clean. Now, Qualcomm, they come to us on February 2nd, which is a week from tomorrow. And I never want to get ahead of uh, particularly an environment like this, a report. So I would wait until they clear that. But it's only a week out. Yeah. You know, one thing I'd say about Qualcomm, I, I had a chance to talk to uh, their CEO, Christiano uh, yeah. Aman, uh, when I was at CES a few weeks ago. And he is very excited about some of the new opportunities for them. Uh, so, you know, they talk, they have a, an autonomous uh, uh, driving and EV platform. Uh, they actually, they, they talk about having a digital chassis for the, uh, yeah. uh, which includes a display, you know, new display technology for the cockpit, things like that. 
Um, they see themselves as a metaverse play. And of right. course, uh, demand for uh, for 5G handsets remains robust. And yeah. um, and they're so they seem to be doing uh, doing very, very well. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see their numbers as well. I, I am curious about just to change gears on you a little bit. Um, how you feel about NVIDIA, which has been uh, the superstar of the chip yeah. sector uh, in, over the last year or two. Uh, spectacular returns on their stock. Uh, there was a report today that um, it looks like their attempt to buy uh, ARM from SoftBank is likely to fail. Now, I don't think that story is actually particularly surprising. We've sort of known right. for a while now that the you know the, the U.S. government is a, as opposed to that deal. Um, it's been they they've got a lot of pushback in Europe as well. It doesn't it didn't seem like it was likely to happen. Uh, it's not officially dead, but it's uh, it's on and and with no deal, they get to save forty billion dollars. Yes, well, you know the the great irony, though, of course, for um, uh, from the the, uh, the seller's point of view, was uh, that was mostly a, a stock deal, and their forty billion dollar deal had become an eighty billion dollar deal. Yeah. Uh, as as Nvidia's stock is appreciated, but but the stock is way more expensive than almost right. any other uh, semiconductor. Out yeah, there. I I, I uh, have been pretty thoughtful about this, and I go with Micron and Qualcomm because I like the drivers. And uh, we start the beginning of the day, Eric, with um, valuations that are not too egregious. I do like Nvidia, and I do like AMD, and I do want to own them at some point. But the problem is, you know, we start the day with those guys before this correction at some really uh, sky high valuations. So almost regardless of what they say and print in their reports, there could be some downside there where I think Micron and Qualcomm are near the end because their valuations uh, were not uh, so taxing. Right. OK, so let, let's talk a little bit about the mega caps. So, you know, we've uh, we, you know, whether you call them fangs or whatever name right. you want to give to these companies or talking about companies with, you know, uh, close to or above a trillion dollar market cap. We're talking about you know, Apple and Amazon, um, you know, Microsoft, uh, Facebook and Alphabet. Um, I, mean, I don't know, maybe you can, uh, yeah. it looks like you were going to be able to throw NVIDIA into that pile, although it's yeah. backed off a little bit. Of, of those micro uh, mega names, and they're all going to report in the next two weeks, right? right? Microsoft tonight, Apple later in the week. Uh, I think we get the rest of them next week. Um, do you have, what's your sense of those? Is there one that stands out to you as particularly appealing or are there, or are there any that you would just simply not be inclined to? Yeah. So what I would do with those and I'm going to throw a M into the fang. So we include Microsoft and of course yes. we get uh, Microsoft tonight. I think among those companies, I would uh, still be a buyer once we get through my timing criteria of uh, Microsoft and Alphabet. And so let's I, talk about, the logic of each. Yeah, sure. So, you know, Microsoft continues to generate, from what I can tell, regardless of environment, uh, double-digit uh, EPS. Mm -hmm. The stock uh, got um, somewhat expensive. Harold, I'm going to turn the light back on here. <laughs> I was going to say, it got, it got dark in South Carolina that for a second. There we go. There we go. I'm in a uh, conference room at the Citadel. Uh, so the, you know, the stock got expensive, so probably deserves some comeuppance. I think today is going to be solid. I think the, uh, go for guidance is going to be solid. And, you know, uh, particularly with Azure as a driver will continue to do well. Uh, I like the logic of the Activision, uh, deal. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I don't like the price, but that's typically what I say in all these deals, Eric. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I think it's uh, solid, uh, particularly with the froth blown off. Um, Alphabet continues to be uh, dominant in digital advertising, and it doesn't have the uh, regulatory risk that Facebook has or Meta. And so that's why I like one versus the other, because they essentially play the same game, serve the same industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I continue to worry about uh, Amazon and its uh, cost structure until I'm told differently. And maybe I'm told differently in this next quarterly report. Uh, Netflix has done this thing. You know, it's uh, probably in some trouble. Um, but yeah, that's why I like um, Alphabet over Facebook and digital advertising. And that's mm-hmm. why I like Microsoft over the other things. How do you feel about Apple? Apple, you know, it generates a lot of cash. So you're never going to have a company where you come in and they disappoint on earnings and the stock goes down 30%. Just cannot happen when you generate $1 billion of free cash flow every week. However, that stock is really expensive. And unless they really blow out the numbers, Wall Street is expecting EPS this year and next and revenue this year and next to be up to 3 4% each. You know what? That's okay, particularly for a company that's mature, but it does not deserve 30 times EPS. So I think it's too expensive. And uh, it is uh, based, even after this froth has been blown off the top, on the assumption that not only going forward will they uh, beat estimates, they will crush estimates. Hmm. And so if they don't crush estimates, then there will be some valuation to pay. And God forbid, if they miss, Oh, my God, because this is a company that's projected to grow at GDP rates. Right. And they even get their EPS by buying back a ton of stock. It's not organic. Right. right. And so, yeah, yeah. I, worry, I worry about its um, valuation um, and wouldn't buy it until it was much, much lower. OK, so I want to come back to something on Microsoft. So, um, uh, you know, on the Activision deal, one of the interesting things that's happened is that the, the is Activision shares uh, trade as if uh, the deal uh, is is iffy. Uh, it trades as if um, they're worried about the transaction being completed. Now, this is not a situation where financing is an issue. Microsoft um, has mount, also has mountains of cash. The, right. They will not only are they going to fund this from balance sheet cash, they don't need to borrow any of it. It's not going to interfere with their stock repurchase plan. And certainly doesn't impact their dividend. Uh, they have plenty of cash to do this deal, even at seventy billion dollars. But uh, it, uh, there are obviously some concerns about antitrust here, and yeah. um, and and I'm curious about how you think about that. But then also from a larger point of view, um, I wonder if the administration's sort of uh, uh, clear uh, anti-merger sentiment, and we, you know, just I think a week or so ago, we had a uh, uh, press events where the FTC and uh, uh, DOJ were laying out their plan to collect more information to potentially change the merger review pop process, which is really targeted at trying to make make it tougher to complete deals. Whether that's not in an inherent negative uh, for the technology sector more broadly, or because this is really about tech deals that the, yeah. that the government's concerned about. Well, I think you raised a good point. You know, we have a very aggressive. Uh, new FTC chair. And we also have Senator Klobuchar uh, pushing forward some aggressive and more aggressive than the Senate had pushed forward in the past. 
and also rumblings in the House of Representatives. So I do think, Eric, this is the year. And that's one of the reasons why I'm more bearish on Meta than than most. This is a year that there actually will be some regulatory slaps on the wrist. And it may be even more than a slap on the wrist. And so, uh, sure, I worry. I I think the ARB spread on Microsoft Activision is partly about... um, Will Microsoft, in the waning days of close before closing the deal, find out some more nasty stuff about Activision's oh, culture? I think the uh, regulatory stuff you pointed out. There's some uh, worry about that, and I also think it's just the environment that we're in. You know, will right. they back away when uh, Activision and Microsoft shares go through the floor in a continued drawdown in tech? I think right. all three of those factors uh, are at play. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, the stock initially jumped to. Uh, I think it was up 25% or so to the mid eighties, 84 bucks or something like that. And the deal's at 95. And um, I think it's dropped. I haven't looked today here. This just in, uh, you know, with Activision's at 79 and a half um, on a $95 deal. Now the, the other, there's a long time wait, that time to wait here. They're not expecting to close this until the June 23 fiscal year. So I've got, uh, a year or maybe as much as a year and a half away from completing the transaction. But um, if you're a believer, uh, yeah. that's a pretty nice return. If you're, well, uh, I think we also will get some feedback today on the Microsoft's uh, quarterly webcast from Satya Nadella. Yes. Maybe that ARB gap will close up a little bit because, you know, he's uh, so well admired, so well respected, and he may make people feel better about the deal, you know, in his, uh, you know, dealing with analysts this afternoon. Right. Yeah, we'll 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 see how that plays out. Right. Are, are are do you do you have other uh, other favorite names that you're sort of itching to buy that uh, once you sort of feel like we're we're past uh, yeah past the, the interest rate environment problem. So I'm enamored with semiconductors and semiconductor capital equipment. Uh, more focused on semiconductor semiconductor capital equipment. I say buy the who's who and almost doesn't really matter. Uh, there are some other companies, and this is my philosophy on those. Uh, there were some companies that the only reason they got to the dance is they were COVID beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're having drastic slowdowns and growth to more normal levels, and we can't even right. figure out where the normal level is. However, there are some companies say, yes, they came up during that uh, pandemic. I'm thinking companies like uh, Zoom and DocuSign. Mm-hmm. They have good products good management teams, profitable, and they will be in our lives for a long, long time after Omicron and after any other variant that comes down the pike. Now, do you buy them today? No, because we're fumbling around trying to find the new normal. And then once we have the new normal growth rate, then we can value them. But I am trying to circle up. Some of those guys have just been thrown out with all of them, like a Peloton that was only around because of uh, uh, COVID and say, Zoom's got a great product, good management team. At what point do I buy it? So I'm looking for those. And those are some ideas that are not in the semiconductor, semiconductor capital equipment space. But I'm thinking uh, Zoom and DocuSign at a certain price will be them. Yeah. I mean, I think the tricky question on Zoom is what is normalized growth look like? Right. So uh, Zoom had a period where they read three straight quarters of like 360% growth or something like that. Just like un- unbelievable. Uh, just like they just made you laugh when you saw the numbers. Right. They were so right. ridiculous. Um, and, you know, they were real numbers. I mean, they they just, as right. we all know, we were all spending all of our time on Zoom. Yeah. Um, 
And yet uh, the numbers were clearly unsustainable. You could see that, you know, that it was going to slow down. Everyone knew that it was going to slow down. Now that it has slowed down or it's begun to slow down, um, you know, it's certainly impaired uh, the valuation. The stock's down, I don't know, 60, 70%. Yeah. Yeah, so once is, they continue to grow at 20 to 30% per annum on the top line, which they right. will. Well, that's the question, right? What is, yeah. is it 20? Is it 10? Is it 40? We don't really know. Um, and and then and meanwhile, at some point, you, you put a, uh, a one peg on it, right? Um, right. And then it might be attractive. And I actually think that's right. coming because they definitely have uh, great products that are sticky. Uh, but yeah, we're just fumbling right. through that period. Uh, we'll see what happens. TBD. But those are two that I have my eyes on. Right. Yeah, DocuSign, I should mention, uh, you know, they had a, an earnings hiccup um, where, you know, they they also had tremendous growth. They, of course, do, do they of course do electronic signature um, services. And as uh, and I do really like their management team. And as they like to point out, um, you know, anyone who's went who's gone from, say, uh, paper based uh, processes to digital ones. Right. Um, are highly unlikely to go back to pen and paper right. and fax machines. Um, and so so this feels like a sustainable long-term trend. Anybody who's done like a complex, you know, like real estate transaction or something where you have to sit and sign millions of pieces of paper and yeah. notaries and all that stuff, like that's just not a long-term plan that's likely to uh, uh, to change. And I, I think that... Uh, uh, they, again, there the question is: Well, where where does the growth rate settle out? Yeah, uh, it would seem to. Me. And I think there's some other uh, cash flow generating companies that still have growth prospects. You know, you and I had spoken about uh, IBM, five percent dividend yield, still probably after today's pop, ten to twenty to thirty percent upside. And now I really believe there's a growth story there, which I never did for years and years and years. And so. Um, what will happen is these tech stocks may continue to get crushed. You know, I'm looking for a stabilization in rates and to get through this reporting season. But there's going to be some quality at the end that is not the garbage. Right. It's the quality. And we're going to get a chance to buy them. And I think it's going to be within the next month. Great. Well, I think we're out of time. Um, Paul, this was really very helpful. It's a fantastic conversation. Always fun to talk to you. We will do this again uh, both uh, off camera and on uh, before too long. Um, and I, I thank our viewers for being with us. Please join us again tomorrow. We'll have uh, on, on Barron's Live, Market Watch's uh, managing editor for Enterprise, Nathan Vardy, will be talking to Evercore ISI's uh, biopharma analyst, Umar Rafat, about the latest pandemic issues and the slumping price of biotech stocks, which are down as well as the tech stocks. Thanks for being with us. Please be well and see you again. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.